Thank you so much. You may see the church. Man, it is so good to be here. Welcome um, Southcrest online and everyone who is here at the LaGrange campus. Man, I can tell you right now in my life, I am experiencing modern day immeasurably more. Um, this is something that uh, you may not understand or a concept in scripture that God promises for those who love him, those who step in obedience, he promises. And um, to Moses, he even said, I swear I will bless you. He says, by my name, I will bless you. And right now I am experiencing immeasurably more. The things that God is doing um, in our church, in our students, um, in my personal life, in my family. Quick story, because I'm allowed to tell this story now. Um, you know how you have these things that you get in a text message or from your family? They're like, now don't tell anybody. I'm really bad at that. Literally, the last time I preached here, I told a family story about a sister of mine or sister-in-law um, being with child. And I got in trouble because I thought everybody knew. And I just made it public in front of thousands of people on Facebook Live, and I got in trouble. Today, I'm not going to get in trouble. Uh, my sister, talking about immeasurably more, wanted to um, adopt. Side note, I believe that if every uh, church, one family from every church um, in Coweta County would adopt one child, we wouldn't need child services. It's just a mindset, a thought through. Um, there's over, I think, 1,800 Bible verses that talk about taking care of the least of these and the children. Um, and our family's very, very big on this. We don't adopt one or two. You know, we just like, it's just exponentially growing in our family. And it's a lot of fun. So my sister goes down to Savannah, Georgia to meet a caseworker who has um, this beautiful um, young girl who wants a forever family, she says. She's eight years old and says, I want a forever family. And immeasurably more means you can't count, right? You can't measure what God's about to do. She calls me and says, as any sister would, I have five sisters. We have different relationships with each other. This one calls me when something's in need. If my phone rings, I look, I have a question. Wonder what she needs. Does that make sense? You have those people in your life. This is her. And she says, I need, I'm like, get it out. It's okay. She goes, you to build bunk beds. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Bunk beds? What are you talking about? She goes, we adopted all four. There was a sibling set. Literally, immeasurably be more. I'm like, okay, do you know what wood costs right now at Home Depot? And it is so cool. This is brand new in our life. And we've adopted um, this set of siblings um, who have the same mom, same dad. And um, the Lord is just um, amazing. I want to share this scripture with you um, of what we are teaching um, our family. And we're teaching people who are struggling. And I don't know where you came in here today. Um, congratulations that you committed. You threw the excuses out the window. Um, you might have had a family member say, no, not today. Get up. Let's go. Right? Um, I don't know what you brought here today, but this is what I share with our students. And this is what I share with my uh, newest family members. And I want to share this with you today. This is um, Peter. First um, Peter chapter two says this, but you're chosen. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a chosen people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who were called. You are called out of darkness and into the marvelous light. If y'all just pray with me for just a second as I pray that God would speak to you in truth. If you'll pray for me, um, lead, 
man, Jesus, thank you so much for truth and for your word. God, I pray right now that you would open my mouth and you would open the hearts of people that they would not hear Luke airs, that they would be convicted by scripture and that they would leave this day with more hope. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm gonna be speaking through uh, several scriptures today. Um, I am a farmer by, uh, by experience and pastor by training. I'm being trained currently and will continue for the rest of my life to be trained. So one thing I do, and I do this with uh, my students and with my young nieces and nephews, um, as I tell them, I hide in scripture so I don't get in trouble. Does that make sense? I hide in scripture so I don't get in trouble. That way, when you get upset about something that's said from here, it's not Luke Ayer's opinion, it's this, you go home, get with your wife, get with, your, get with God, that's on him, right? So have your Bible um, and flip over to 1 Timothy chapter four. We're gonna stick there for just a minute. 1 Timothy chapter four, um, you'll hear me a lot anytime you talk to me about discipleship, okay? Discipleship to me is the best strategic business plan that God ever created thousands of years ago, because Jesus had to sit down and get to a place in his life. He only did ministry for three years, right, as a 30-year-old. So I'm sitting here going, hey, I'm just getting started. This is good. Jesus did his ministry for three years, and he had to come up with a way, of course, fully God and fully man, came up with a way to how do I start the church, and through chaos, turmoil, wars, death, and famine, and opinions and different denominations and drama and all these things, what can I create, my Father, Heavenly Father and I, here on earth that will last forever? And it's discipleship through the generations. That's it. I'll say that again. The only thing that will last forever, feelings will go, love will come and go, people will come and go, nations and leadership will come and go. The only thing that will last forever is discipleship through the generations. And that's where we're going to focus here for just a minute. I'm gonna start in verse four um, and five. It says, for everything was created by God, it is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Here's the reality. When thing is created, all things are created, okay, by God and it is good. Now you talk to some of my nieces and nephews and they would differ. They would say, well, why did God create this? And why did God create that? And it's usually some kind of like insect. We always wonder like, why did God create spiders? I know there's a reason, right? But it's like, I don't understand it. I'll be honest, I don't understand why grown men, we're not gonna have confession time. Why grown men are scared of something you can squish with your thumb. God created things and it's good. There are things in your life that happen to you that don't feel good, seem good, they're not good. But in scripture, it's saying, if we can receive it, I love that song we just sang, that I'm so thankful. I give thanks to God when I don't have enough. How easy is it to say, thank you, God, when you're living in blessing time? How easy is it to say, thank you, God, when everything's going good? But when things go wrong and when things get to a point in your life where it seems like you don't have enough, can you receive things with thanksgiving? This is what it's talking about. Because if it was created, it is good. First Timothy chapter four, going to skip down to um, verse 15. 
It says, practice these things and immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. This is where I tell my students, it's okay to show off sometimes. It's okay to show off sometimes. Parents, if you're in this room, I'm telling you, it is life-changing when your students, your spouse, your kids, your grandkids see you get in God's word. If you like to do it quietly in the early morning or late at night in your bedroom or in your office, that's fine. Then the second time of the day when they get home from school, fake it. If you have your own quiet time, that's awesome. And they're asleep or they're not home, that's great. That's when you can study God's scripture. Open it, sit it out, sit down, read it with your kids. There is something powerful when Paul is writing this letter so that people will see your progress. Do these things, immerse yourself so that, we have to listen in scripture when it says, so that people will see your progress. Progress is a huge thing. How many people um, have ever tried to start eating more salads and never see progress, right? It's depressing. You don't want to get to a place where you're like, I'm just going to eat salads for a year. You're not going to get progress that way because if you're in my family, it lasts like six days. And if we do things, we want progress, right? We want progress. Um, how many of you parents decide your allowance money, punishment, or what they're allowed to do on the weekend based on their progress report? based on what they get after their nine weeks. So many kids are like, I can't come to church. I just got my nine week progress report. It's so funny how parents will use church like as a punishment. And it's all these things because everywhere in the world, we want to see progress. Scripture says, immerse yourself so that people will see your progress. Now, immerse yourself. What does this look like? What does it look like to immerse yourself in the things of God? I promise you, it is not just showing up to church. It is not showing up to church and volunteering once a week. Immerse yourself is what we call doing life. Can you do life and do the things of God wherever you go, however you go, when you go on the weekends, when you go on vacation, are you immersed? Funny story, um, raise your hand real quick if you learn to swim at a young age, like, like dangerously young age. A lot of you, okay, in my family, we learned to swim, like early. So I went to Jamaica and we were on a mission trip. We have a Hope Center there that we partner with. And there's all these kids and they're like, a lot of them don't know how to swim. Some of them do how to swim. And there's like this, you know, three or four year old with like back home, my three and four year old nieces and nephews are like, just kind of like figuring out how to take care of themselves in the bathroom, right? They're not swimming by themselves. They don't go to the pool by themselves. They have to be supervised, right? And I see this kid and he's like looking over the edge. We're in the Caribbean ocean, okay? And he's sitting there and it's deep and there's a cliff. And he's like, man, I want to swim. Man, I want to swim. You know that feeling of like this? You need Uncle Luke or you need somebody, you need dad that says, I promise, just jump. I promise, right? This is what we teach our kids, not in Jamaica. They take this kid and says, whoop, pushed him off the cliff. And you know, small cliff, it's still a cliff. Takes him off and I was like, what are you doing? This is his father. And I'm going, oh my gosh, oh my. The American me wants to jump in. It's like, I'll save you. And he goes and grabs me. He goes, he'll get his head up. I was like, immersed, like immersion of water. He's like, he'll get his head up. 
And next thing you know, this kid gets his head up and he's sitting there sucking air and like, oh my gosh, of course he's mad at his father. And the other next thing you know, he swims, he grabs on. And this kid, I go back and this guy swims like a fish. And I'm not telling you ever to train your kids how to swim like that. But this guy is an example of true, if you want to swim, jump in the deep end. I don't know what God's calling you to do, but there are things that God is calling you. I told my students last week, there are books that will never be written because students are told that they're not good enough. There are businesses and CEOs that will never run an amazing Fortune 500 company because some teacher or some parent or some girlfriend talked down to someone and said, what are you gonna do? How would you be able to pull that off? When God calls us to immerse ourselves in something, this is like a big deal. My nephew Eli is redneck. I just, I mean, I'm a farmer, but my, my nephew Eli is redneck. And he always, last night, he comes up to me last night, we had everybody at the house and he goes, man, I'm tired. It's like, what do you do? He goes, I caught like seven buckets of crappy till midnight. And I'm like, oh my gosh. His pastime as a 10 year old is he goes fishing. And when I say immersed in fishing, he, he smells like it all the time. His clothes smell like it. He's got so many scars and hand things from all these hooks. And we had to fix his washer and dryer. And I come over, couldn't fix it. How many guys y'all get on YouTube, try to fix things? Just call somebody, pay someone. It'll help you in the long run. So we paid this guy to come fix my sister's washer. And he says, do you have a fisherman in your family? And this guy found like seven lures all down in the, in the thing from pockets and hooks and all this stuff, because this guy is immersed in learning the skill. And he says, I will learn until I win. And I'm like, man, this 10 year old is, is teaching me something. I will do this until I win. He won his first fishing tournament, killed a bigger buck than any man in my family, killed his biggest and first turkey than any man in my family, because this guy is determined to win and he immerses himself in it, reads magazines, gets on YouTube and all these things. And I start thinking, now he's got the attitude of a winner. Now he's got the attitude and the discipline to learn something that no one else is teaching him. Discipleship's gotta be easy for this kid. Once we start discipling someone who understands immersing yourself so that other people see the progress, it's huge. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse seven talks about walk by faith and not by sight. Walk by faith and not by sight. Y'all know this scripture, but here's the hard part. Walking by faith and not by sight is like putting a blindfold on and saying, hey, come hang out with me for a day and I'm not telling you anything. A disaster could happen. Walking by faith and not by sight is literally taking step one without knowing Step two, we want to know, and this is my life, I want to know like step one, two, and two and a half. Like I don't have to know step three and four, okay? How many of you always are trying to figure out like what's next for our family? We want to sell the house. There's some equity. We're not sure. We're looking for this new job. We're trying to figure out what to do this summer. All these things are unknown. How many of you have ever wanted to start your own business? And it's terrifying, how many of you wanted to start a Bible study or a life group or just start praying with your family more? Step one is the hardest part and walking by faith and not by sight is taking step one without knowing step two. It's hard. 
walking by faith and not by sight. So I encourage you, church, to figure out a way to take this first step and trust God with step two. It's a hard thing. When you walk into a room, I've heard it said this way, when you walk into a room, um, what's the first thing you do when it's dark? Before you step in, before you go in and close the door, what's the first thing you do? Flip on the light, even at your own house. Say, I don't know, I bet all of you, if the power goes out, you've lived in your house for more than a year, you literally could walk through the whole house blindfolded. You know where this is, you know where this is, I know that. You might step on you know, a toy or something or something your husband left in the way, but like you might get in the way of something, but you know where all your stuff is. You could get through it. Why do we turn on the light? It's not because we're scared of the dark. We just wanna see. We wanna see what's across there. I feel like in my life, this is how Jesus has, has treated me, is I walk in and there's no light switch. And I'm like, hold on now. I know something's up here, but I know God told me to walk through this door. I know God called me to Southcrest Church. I know he said, student ministry is gonna be hard. I know he did not prepare me for 2020. I know that there were some things in this room that I did not know, but I knew that God opened a door and I had to walk through it. So I walked through I said, all right, God, let me see what's step two. He said, close the door. This is gonna get real dark. He said, close the door. So I close the door and I just start stepping. I have no idea what I'm stepping into. And I get all the way across the room. There's a light switch. Then I flip on the light. And I turn around and I go, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This is what you're doing? Immeasurably more. Church, I'm telling you, Forget about the light switch. Go through something that God's calling you to. Close the door and pray because it is gonna be funky. It is gonna be hard. It is gonna be weird. But when you get to that other side and you flip the light and you turn around and say, this is what immeasurably more looks like. Walk by faith and not by sight. Church, I wanna leave you with this and say, what are you doing today to leave a legacy for tomorrow? What are you doing today to leave a legacy for tomorrow? I told you the only thing that's going to last is discipleship through the nations, through the nations and through the generations and through everything that we do here on the days that we're not promised. Y'all do realize the one thing that we all have together, the same is 24 hours. Doesn't matter how much money you have or how healthy you are, we're all guaranteed 24 hours. That's it. The question is, how are you gonna use it? Because we're all not promised tomorrow. We know this, we felt this, we have personal stories of people who were not promised tomorrow. So church, what are you going to do today to leave a legacy for tomorrow? Robert Coleman says, choose what you wanna focus on. Are you going to focus on this momentary spotlight in front of others? Are you going to wait and duplicate yourself so you can impact the next generation. What do you want people to know about you when you're gone? Do you want your story to live on? Do you want your family? Do you want the gospel to live on through the generations? I'm gonna leave you with four things, questions, challenges. Number one, do you even want to impact the next generation? Do you want to? Actions speak louder than words. Actions, doing more for the next generation matters. I got some advice and it has changed my life in the last three years. A mentor of mine said, Luke, you need very few people your age you hang out with. You need very few friends. 
like less than five. I was like, okay. He said, and you need to hang out with people who are a few years younger than you. They're gonna keep you young, keep you energized, and it is fun to see progress. And then you, he says, you wanna, you wanna grow? You want to learn? You want to be a world changer? I was like, yeah, yeah. He goes, you need some gray-headed friends. He said, you need some people who have been around a while, who will call you out for your junk, who will teach you things, and you gotta be coachable. My life started to change when my friend group got this big. I started pouring into hundreds of students and I have about eight or nine people who pour into me who are quite older than me, who I can learn from. Number two, are you willing to give the next generation what they need? This is where people get uncomfortable. That's why I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on it. Are you willing to give what you need? Time, money, the one weekend at the lake house, vacation time, energy, things, commitment, longevity? Are you willing to commit to pour into the next generation and give them what they need? Here's your challenge, two challenges. Model for the next generation. This is what I train um, students, to know God, to serve God, and to seek God, to wanna be more like Jesus. Are you willing to model what it looks like to follow Jesus? Number four, build relationships on purpose. Build relationships on purpose. Do not just hang out with people to fill the time. I have people all the time um, who will who wonder, have, have y'all have people in your life? This might be you, I've struggled with this, if I'm honest. When you wake up, you're like, I don't know what I'm gonna do today. I don't know who I'm gonna go see. Who would I wanna contact first? I don't know what's gonna happen this weekend. I'm like, listen, stay in bed and give the day to somebody else. Do something on purpose. Wake up and build relationships and plan and be ready for what God's gonna do. This is how we can live immeasurably more because we're not promised tomorrow. Get to a point where you invite people to your house on purpose, not just because you have a free night. What I preach today, you won't remember. What I preach today, you won't remember. But what you see in the coming days, you won't be able to forget. What people see you do, they can't forget. What people see you leave an impact, they can't forget. The, the, the generational impact that Southcrest has made in just the last 12 months, people will not be able to forget, especially if their family has a personal story. It will, it will literally be unforgettable. If you can see the invisible church, God will show you how to do the impossible. If you can see and vision and pray and say, Lord, show me how I can impact the next generation. Show me how my family can do things in such a way that people see a progress. Show me how to serve God, love God and build relationships on purpose. If you can do this church, that's the invisible things. That's walking in faith and not by sight. But when you do this, I promise you, when you see the invisible, God can show you how to do the impossible. It's something that will forever change you. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 says, let no one despise you for your youth, 
but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and in love and in faith and in purity. Church, God is not done with you yet. Men, God wants you to step up. Women, your impact on the next generation, the next generation's eternity relies on it. So church, if you will join us, if you will stay the course, if you will finish the race strong, church, if you will help us make an impact in your cul-de-sac, in your neighborhood, in your family, and into the next generation, we will see things that seem impossible and we get to be a part of it. Would you stand with me? Church, I want you to really focus in the next 90 days, praying for the next generation, praying with students. And I'm gonna challenge you today as I pray to figure out, just you and God, figure out what it is that God is asking you to do that step one. I don't know what it is and I can't wait to hear the story because there's a step one that God's asking you to do that he's pushing you to do. It's been on your heart for a long time. And I know, I know that things are happening in such that way. Y'all pray with me. Jesus, thank you.